Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The prophet Isaiah declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we've read through Genesis 1 and 2, we have encountered a world that is very different from the world we are presently in. Everything is good. Everything works well. There's no chaos, no disorder, no disease. There are no shootings, no identity theft, no racism, no war. Humans, in fact, are living in harmony with God and with one another. And so, of course, we've got to ask, what happened? What went wrong? Why isn't the world the way it was in the beginning when God created it? And to put it simply, Genesis 3 tells us that humanity bought a lie. Adam and Eve and all of us who came after them bought the lie that what we want for ourselves is better than what God wants for us. If we jump back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God set a boundary for Adam in the garden. And that boundary made clear the distinction between creature and creator, that God has reserved the role exclusively for himself to determine what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. That's up to him, not up to his creatures. We see this in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, where God says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we've got to stop here and ask, why did God place the tree there to begin with? Wouldn't it have been so much easier if he just didn't? But ultimately... It was up to Adam and Eve to decide. Who are they going to trust? Sandra Richter, an Old Testament scholar, words it this way. God's perfect plan and humanity's perfect world was a matter of choice. Did humanity want this world or one of their own making? Now, this tree, by being a very real physical tree, also represented a choice. In order to truly trust God, 
they had to have the option to not trust him. The tree asked them the question, do I believe the creator is wise enough to know what is best? Or do I think that I know better? And that's the same question we are faced with every time we are tempted to sin against God. Now, the serpent here is not identified as Satan, but we find out later in Revelation chapter 12 that, yes, indeed, this was Satan doing the tempting. He has been deceiving and twisting the truth from the very beginning down until today. And so he asks Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice what he's doing. He's trying to get Eve to reconsider God's command in terms of scarcity instead of abundance. Now God has given Adam and Eve abundance. They have every tree in the garden for food except for one. They're living in paradise. It's like they have a whole grocery store at their disposal, but just can't eat one brand of graham crackers. But the serpent wants her to consider not all that she has, but the one thing that they don't have. To believe that God's command is restrictive rather than protective. How often do we, too, assume that God's commands are meant to harm us rather than to help us? Is it not possible that God gives his commands to protect us rather than be a killjoy? That he gives his commands to draw us closer to him rather than to ruin all our fun? Eve restates God's commands in her own words, showing that she at least knows that the tree's off limits. But the serpent says, you will not surely die. He tells Eve that death is not something that surely must happen if she eats from the tree. In fact, Eve, God is holding out on you. He knows that if you eat from this, you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. He's trying to get her to question God's character and to question his motives in forbidding the tree. Don't you want your eyes opened? Don't you want to become like God, knowing good and evil? And Satan, and surely our own sinful nature, use a similar line of reasoning today. Take that last brownie that your mom said she's reserving for her brother, because it'll taste really good, and your brother's a loser anyway. It's no big deal to cheat on that test. It'll help you get into a good college. Tell that person what you really think of them, because you'll feel better, and they deserve it anyway. Pocket that extra cash. The company doesn't need it anyway. No one will ever know. And to be honest, you're overworked. But temptation has the same root every single time. Mistrust God. Doubt that he is good. And doubt that his commands are good. And that is the lie we buy into every time we sin. Author Jackie Hill Perry puts it this way. It's what we believe about God that will determine how we behave. 
At the root of all sin is unbelief in the word and the worth of God. Now, if you've been around the block a few times, you know that the best lies contain a little bit of truth. And that's the same in Genesis 3. The serpent's telling the truth that Adam and Eve will know good and evil. They'll be made like God in a way. But at what cost? He leaves that part out, doesn't he? That's what he does. That's what temptation does. It maximizes the supposed joy and the benefits of sin while minimizing the pain of the consequences. And we think that the cost of sin is minimal. But just from Genesis 3 alone, we can see that we're wrong. And really, even pop culture shows us this. Uh, In Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker, you know, he goes to the dark side to become Darth Vader because he thinks he's going to save his wife. But he winds up destroying her and himself in the process. We see that in the story of Hansel and Gretel. Look, giant house made of candy. This is going to make us happy. And then they almost get eaten by a witch. In a similar way, Sin never ultimately delivers on what it promises. There are always unintended consequences, especially within our relationship with God. Now, Adam and Eve could have said no. Right here is where Eve needed to say, I'm not listening to you. Get out of my garden. Because the cost of her disobedience will be treason against a perfect God who's been nothing but good to her, who gave her and Adam life itself, everything they need to thrive, who gave them each other, who loves them, who wants fellowship with them. And so she could have said to the serpent, I know my maker, I know his character, and so I know he's good. And so if he, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to withhold this one thing from me, I am trusting that he is good and that he is trustworthy and that this command is good. You know, Adam could have said that too. Do you notice? It says she gave some fruit to Adam who was with her. It sounds to me like he was right there. Was he just crossing his arms being like, what was he doing? Not helping any. You know, we harp on Eve a lot for this, but Adam is equally as responsible. And as the story goes on, Eve allows herself to become captivated by the tree. The more we consciously and intentionally dwell on something wrong, the easier it becomes to justify doing it. You see, all along, so far, God has been the only one determining and seeing what is good. But now Eve sees, in her own estimation at least, that the tree is good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. But our senses can lead us astray. They can make us believe that what is wrong is right. In fact, there's a great song by One Republic that brings this truth to light. The lyrics go, I feel something so right doing the wrong thing, and I feel something so wrong doing the right thing. 
Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Just because something feels right and good doesn't mean that it is or that it won't harm us in the end. Only the word of God can tell us the truth because our feelings, I mean, feelings are good, but our feelings don't always tell us the truth. And so Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They determine good and bad, good and evil for themselves. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. But in doing so, they rebel against the God who has only ever been good to them. They commit mutiny against the one who created the heavens and the earth. And they don't get what they expected. Eating from the tree, yeah, opens their eyes. And they realize they're naked. Didn't seem to bother them before. But now, now they have something to hide. Now they feel shame. Now they even have to hide from each other. And next they're going to hide from God and then deflect blame. And in the end, they'll lose paradise. The entire world will reel and break. Death, which was not a certainty before, will become a certainty for all humanity. And that's not even the worst thing. Worst of all, humanity's relationship with God is shattered. Sandra Richter writes it this way, with the fall, humanity loses their identity as God's people, their place in his paradise, and their access to his presence. Intimacy with God, which was the essence of humanity's existence, is shattered. We chose a world apart from God, and that is what we got. But we failed to consider that what we wanted apart from God, will never give us what we need, will never give us him. Consider the two different worlds, the one before Genesis 3 and the one after. Which one would have been better? And now let's consider our own choices. Which world are we choosing with our actions? Are we believing the same lie as Adam and Eve? Or are we following in the path of Jesus, however imperfectly we might do it? Are we seeking to follow his ways? Now, you and I know, it's not that sin feels bad at the time, right? It often feels wonderful at the time. But what happens as a result, that's where things go wrong. Think of it like when you see a ton of amazing desserts and you decide, you know what, I'm going to have 15 of them. Feels great at the moment, but you wake up the next day and you don't feel good at all. <clears throat> Consequences. And the fact of the matter is we will never ultimately be satisfied outside of knowing Jesus and following God's ways. By eating from the tree, Adam and Eve, they learn good and evil by committing evil. But here's the thing. We don't know what God's ultimate plan for the tree was. Would he have one day offered them that knowledge when they were ready for it? Maybe in a similar way that we don't offer the driver's seat to a five-year-old, but we do to a 15-year-old. Could that have been what would have happened if they did it God's way? 
Or could it be that if they had rejected the serpent's lie, that that would be the way they would have learned good and evil? That by eating from the tree, they learned good and evil by participating in evil and rejecting good. But by not eating from the tree, they would have learned good and evil by rejecting evil and participating in good. Would obedience have given them the very knowledge they sought, but in God's way and God's timing? Now, whatever the answer is, from the very first sin, we see that giving in to temptation is never worth it. But it's so easy, like Adam and Eve, to believe that what we want is better than what God wants. But that was the very lie that shattered humanity's relationship with God in the first place. We don't get to determine right from wrong. That is his job. And he has revealed that to us in his word. We are called to obey his commands. And while it is often difficult to do, it is good and right in the long run. In a similar way that working out is not fun at the time, but rewarding in the long term. And so when faced with the temptation to buy this lie again, we must lean on the character of God. Trusting God's character helps us fight against sin. It's not about checking off a list of do this and don't do that. It's, a, it's about trusting the character of God in a loving relationship with him. Because we will only ever truly flourish as humans in relationship with the Lord through Christ. And so we have to lean on God, asking for his help and strength to say no to temptation and to do good. And when we find ourselves so overcome with temptation, we must lean on him and on one another. So we're leaving here with a pretty sad ending. At the end of Genesis 3, things seem hopeless. Will humanity ever dwell with God again? Certainly, we can't fix the problem. We've kept on sinning ever since, and we can't make up for what we've done. We failed the test. But what if someone else were to retake the test? What if someone who had never sinned went right where we went wrong. And what if he not only did that, but took our death penalty upon himself, the innocent for the guilty? Could that solve our sin problem and restore our broken relationship with God? I think you know the answer, because that's exactly what Jesus did. The God that we spurned, who we spat in the face of, had mercy on us, chose to show mercy on us, and make a way back to him so that we could be restored in our relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that when Christ returns, all who trust in him will again dwell in the presence of God, in the place of God, as the people of God where all is set right, in what is functionally Eden restored. The story isn't over. 
And you can be a part of this story as you trust in Jesus and as you follow him. We come to him with all our failures. We receive his forgiveness and we begin anew day by day in following him and his ways.